Oh, lightning round questions. That sounds interesting. Mesdames et messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Welcome to another episode of Keep the Flame Alive, the podcast for fans of the Olympics and Paralympics. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, indeed. One of the best holidays of the year. Not this year. No, not this year, because you can't get together. But, you know, pumpkin pie by yourself still tastes awful. Oh, well, then you need to get some bourbon pecan pie, which is what we usually have. Oh, no. What's little chocolate cream? Do you like pie? Oh, you're a lemon meringue person, right? I'm just going to take the can of whipped cream and spray it right in my mouth. Also a good choice. Nobody's watching because nobody's there. Here to see. Uh, So while we are eating our own Thanksgiving dinners, we've got a little lightning round episode for you. First up, we have, oh, and this one's all authors. I was so excited that we had a whole bunch of authors stacked up because they are always fun to talk to. So first up are Stephen Wen and Bob Barney, authors of The Gold in the Rings, The People and Events That Transformed the Olympic Games. We talked with them back in like February or so February, March before way before COVID really became a a household topic. So take a listen. Lightning round. Question one. What is your first memory of the Olympics when you were a child? Bob, we'll go with you first. Uh, Well, my first, uh, I was born in 1932. So when I was 16 years old, the first post-World War II Olympics were, uh, were held in London and uh, uh, I was into sport magazines then, and uh, the, the, there was hardly any television, but there was an Olympic film which I saw, and I saw the and, and there I was in, living in New Hampshire then, and uh, an athlete, a pole vaulter, was from New Hampshire that got me interested. Although the year I was born, I was born a month before the Lake Placid Winter Games. <laughs> Of 1932, but I don't remember those. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean you don't remember them? Weren't you propped up reading the newspaper? (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, but uh, that was 16 years before the the first games I became cognizant of. (laughs) Stephen, what about you? Well, sadly, I would say that, you know, my first memory is tied to the 1972 Munich Olympics and the Munich Massacre. I would have been... uh, uh, eight at the time, and uh, living here in Canada, um, we were consumed by two events at the same time. That incident was playing out coincident with the 1972 Soviet Canada Hockey Series, the Summit Series, um, which was of great magnitude uh, to Canadians. But uh, yeah, my first recollection is is of that particular incident, unfortunately. I guess beyond that, though, uh, I certainly recall 
watching the 76 Montreal Olympics on television, watching Queen Elizabeth uh, open the games, Greg Joy winning an unexpected silver in the high jump. You know, then there were lots and lots of moments after that. Uh, you know, the miracle on ice in 1980, you've never had more Canadians cheering for an American hockey team than, than you could possibly imagine. And you have Ben Johnson. I, oh, I, was, yeah, I was in Seoul for the Johnson-Lewis race, and as, as was Bob, and uh, had rush tickets. Uh, we sat, you know, really about the 50-meter mark, about eight rows behind Samaranch, so we had a great look at it. You know, 70,000 people just absolutely stone silent before the gun. And, um, yeah, it, it was all good for me as a Canadian for about, 36 hours in the wake of that event and then of course things things turned and uh canada entered uh, a period of uh, introspection with respect to doping and uh it did bring about positive change at least in a in a canadian sense um whereby we moved towards random out of competition testing and uh yeah no i, I mean the stories just sort of go on and on um Got to Vancouver, wonderful experience with my then 10-year-old son. And, yeah, I, I just, I mean, I've always been, obviously, I've always been interested, uh, consumer of sports, participant in sports. Uh, I sort of revel in, in the accomplishments and sort of think what must it take to be able to do that in that pressure cauldron of competition. So there, there's lots to like about the Olympics and Bob and I try to write about that, but we also try to provide the backstory and um, provide a, as reasonable and objective a viewpoint of everything Olympic that we can. If you could win a medal in any Olympic sport, which one would it be? Oh, boy. <laughs> and you don't well, have to be actually good at it. If this is your dream. Uh, if my dream, you know, that's a good question. I never, I, I never thought about it, but I'll have to admit that one of the most exciting events I ever saw in the Olympics, and, and which I never competed in in my life, and never thought about competing in, was weightlifting. And I saw the gold medal match where the the, the young Turkish weightlifter was uh, one three, ended up winning three gold medals in the in his weight class, and I saw the, the great confrontation for his third one, and it was in Atlanta. And uh, so that's how I'll answer that question, but I never really thought about it before. But Stephen, <laughs> you, you probably have a better one. <laughs> uh, well, in a past life, I coached uh, men's volleyball at the university level. So, uh, you know, probably an involvement with uh, the sport of volleyball makes the most sense, but, and Bob's going to get a real chuckle out of this. If I, if I could pick one sport that I could win an Olympic medal in, it would be swimming. And yep. that's because I, I don't, I don't swim anywhere, but the bathtub. So that has to be uh, shared. And, and Bob knows this because uh, in my past life, when I wandered into his water polo class years ago at, uh, the University of Western Ontario, he quickly sized me up as somebody who swam nowhere but the bathtub and said I'd be better in cross-country skiing. So I duly departed the pool and uh, ended up in Barb Reed's cross-country ski class. But um, I, I have real admiration for swimmers. My daughter 
swam competitively for a number of years. And I got a little bit of a look at, a, a little bit of a look at the dedication and commitment that's required, the hours that those athletes keep, the early mornings. I'm proud to say that my niece uh, in Calgary is a very, very fine nationally ranked swimmer here in, in our country. And uh, I have great admiration for what she does. So if I could have whomever is in control of all uh, reach down and tap me on the shoulder and give me that moment of glory, it would be, it would be in the pool. Excellent. And finally, what is your favorite Olympic souvenir? <laughs> See, now Bob told me before we were talking, he's been to 12 Olympics. Oh, wow. So he's got a lot. I don't know how many you have been to, Stephen. Uh, well, let's see. Seoul, Sydney, Vancouver. So three, I guess. Let me t let me answer for Stephen on that, his favorite Olympic souvenir. In 1988, as Stephen's already related, he and I were in Seoul, and we had tickets to the track and field the day that Ben Johnson was going to run at 100 meters. And we went to the stadium at seven o'clock in the morning at a time when the stadium opened at eight, and the and the and the event was going to be at one o'clock, and we were the first people in a line that ap that rapidly materialized after we got there. As we got to the, as we got to where they took the first tickets and the first people to go in, I pushed Stephen in front of me. And they said, you are the first person, and here's your prize. And they put in his hand a rubber doll of the tiger, the, the, the mascot. Do you yes, remember that? The uh, story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have it still. Oh, uh, my God. And, and that's, well, that's exactly what I would have said. But, <laughs> but Bob captured it quite well. Oh, yeah, no, I still have that. I, sh I show it to students, and I suspect it actually has fairly significant value, um, I would think, from a monetary standpoint, too. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, yeah, that was, I didn't know it at the time that it was going to have such a special place uh, of honor in my office, but it certainly does. I'll be done. I'm sorry I brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> no, it shows that how how kismet you two are that you've worked together so long that you know how the other would answer the question. Yeah, we, we do. And you know what? I do not have a favorite Olympic souvenir. I've never been a, a souvenir collector, although I've come into possession of a lot of memorabilia items from people over the years. And I guess I'm looking at one right now. It's on my desk. And it's a felt red maple leaf which was on the dress uniform of the Olympic team members of Canada's first Olympic team in 1908. Don't ask me how I got it, wow. <laughs> but I have it. <laughs> That's fascinating. That's amazing. Wow, holy cow. Thank you so much, Stephen and Bob. It was fun to listen to them again. I want us to be like them. Yeah. Like in 30 years. <laughs> They were heroes. They were so they were fantastic, and it was fun to listen to it again. I know, and made me want to talk to them. Like we got to find a way to talk to them again and get them back on the I show. Another book. Right. 
We'll figure it out. So we've got a history year coming up, so maybe we can get them back for that. But uh, thank you so much, Steve and Bob. We really appreciate it. Next up is David Davis, author of Wheels of Courage, How Paralyzed Veterans from World War II Invented Wheelchair Sports, Fought for Disability Rights, and Inspired a Nation. Take a listen. Lightning round. What is your first memory of the Olympics? Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, lightning. Not so lightning. Um... <laughs> Okay, so full disclosure, I grew up without a television. My parents, who are still alive, God bless, still do not have a television in their house. So probably my first memory of the Olympics were a couple of highlights on Wide World of Sports. And then in terms of news and and you know, consciousness, probably 72 Munich and the news coming out about the, the terrorist attack. So was your first purchase for your own apartment a television? <laughs> Actually, um, some friends gave me their old TV. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, here, you poor sap. <laughs> Do you remember when you first heard about the Paralympics? No, I don't. Yeah, I know. I was I was thinking about that too. Like, if, for me, I I know when I first got hooked on the Olympics, but Paralympics just kind of seeped in, and yeah, I I I don't have that same clear cut memory. Yeah. Okay. So I'll show off my geekdom. My dad. So I'm I was born and raised in New York City. And we, my, my parents have a summer place in upstate New York. My dad got upset with himself that we didn't go to the Montreal Games in 76. He, he was upset because he was like, we could have, that could have been so easy. We could have done that, you know, could have gone up for a day or two days, you know, a weekend. He, he was very upset with himself. So we went, the first Olympics we went to were Lake Placid, which was obviously, you know, we went up for a weekend and it was great. And then I've gone to quite a bit of Olympics with my parents as, you know, just fans. And we went to Los Angeles after I I graduated college in 1984. And my graduation present was we went to the Los Angeles Olympics for a weekend or a few days. And all we saw was track and field. And one of those days was when they had the wheelchair races, which, of course, weren't the two wheelchair races at the Coliseum, which, of course, you know, Technically, that wasn't, of course, the Paralympics, but that was probably the first time I ever saw a wheelchair athlete. But in terms of how it seeped into the same, I, I would say, yeah, answer the same as you. It sort of just seeped into the consciousness of going to the games, and then you would say, and, and probably strongest uh, was when, because we, we went to see a lot of Winter Olympics as a family, uh, more, more than summer. And so the next Summer Olympics that we saw after Los Angeles was Sydney. And so Sydney was, I I think, probably when it really hit home, like, oh, afterwards, you know, they're using they're using these for the Paralympics. And the Australians just really have that Olympic spirit, shall we say. And they were really into it. And so that that was probably where it really hit home, I, I would say. If you could be an Olympian in any sport, what sport would you do? Doesn't matter about what your abilities are. What right. sport would you do? Marathon. 
Hmm. That's a good one. We haven't had that. I know. Why? Because I think that's just self-flagellation disguised as a sport. True. And what's wrong with that? (laughs) (laughs) As you you probably know, the the first narrative book I did was about the 1908 uh, London Marathon, uh, the Olympic Marathon in London in 1908. And I, I... to me, that's the most fascinating of Olympic events if for the summer games. That's the central event to me still. It's, you know, usually what the last day or the last couple of days. And to me, that's that's a race that I that just has captured my imagination. And it, it has so many implications over the years for starting with the, the Greek runner who wins in Athens in 1896 to you know, the Irish-American Johnny Hayes in 1908 and B.B. Bikila in 1960 and 64. I mean, these are groundbreaking, just momentous events within the Olympics. And, uh, yeah, to me, uh, the, the, the Korean runner in 1936, Frank Shorter in 72, you know, uh, just Joan Benoit in 84. You know, I, I feel like, God, am I a geek right now, right? Uh, but man, I, I just, that, that race is, yeah, that, that, if I could do, I mean, you know, I'd have to move to Africa and start training now, but okay, you know, we could, we could maybe do that. You are among geeky friends, fear not. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to ask, cause in the, the few days you were at the LA 84 games, did you get to see the marathon? We didn't, I don't think we saw you know, I, gosh, I, I honestly can't remember. I'd have to look it up. It wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been the men's. If it would have been any, it would have been Joan Benoit, and it w- we would have seen her finish at the, in the Coliseum. And I, I know that sounds weird, but I can't, I can't remember if we were there that day or not, because uh, we saw, we, we only saw three, we saw three days in a row of track and field, and. My other vivid memory is like Jack Nicholson was in the row below us. And, it, I, you know, it's, oh, my God, Jack Nicholson, <laughs> my God. <laughs> well, in, in 84, just the athletics competition that year was just oh, phenomenal. Oh. What? Oh, my gosh. What yeah. What athletes? That, the, oh, the, that was a great game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Carl Lewis, Evelyn Ashford, Edwin Moses. I mean, it was just. Yeah, the relays, every, everything was, yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal. What draws you to writing about the Olympics and Paralympics? <laughs> well, I think like any good, they're, they're just so compelling. I think the Olympics are just so compelling. And, and, I, and I say this both mostly positive, but, but also in a negative way. I mean, they, they encompass so much about our society, it seems to me. And again, some of it positive, some of it not so positive. Um, you know, if you're talking about steroids or commercialization and all that, I mean, some of that is not all good news, so to speak. And yet, on the other hand, it, 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 there's, there's so many compelling athletes and characters. And in and of itself, it's, it's, you know, it's one of those mirrors to 20th century, and especially in America. And, that, you know, that to me is, it's fascinating. And to me, there's a reason why we have so many books about, you know, the 1936 Olympics and the ni- and the 1972 Olympics and Mexico City and, I mean, all of many of these Olympics are just 
are just compelling in and of itself and tell a broader story beyond sports and who won and who lost. Um, we, we were talking about Rome and, and, and 60 and, and, and Tokyo and 64, and those were vitally important for those countries and sort of in, in, in coming out of the World War II and the, you know, the tragedies and, and all of the trauma, et cetera, of, of World War II. This was a way to get back into society and to show off to the world that, hey, we're back and, and, and you know, we're a functioning society. Melbourne getting the games in 56, you know, the, which I think is an overlooked games in so many ways. And here you have finally the, you know, that part of the world getting major coverage. And, and there's so many, you know, you've got the USSR Hungary water polo game and just so many compelling stories. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you guys have a, have a podcast where people can talk about all of the Olympics. Because, uh, yeah, to me it's uh, – and I subscribe to the Journal of Olympic History, and I read all these articles, and, and it's all fascinating, whether it's a story about Lenny Riefenstahl or a story about Johnny Hayes or Jim Thorpe. I mean, these are – Heroes, anti-heroes, they're, it, it, they're, it, it's never-ending. Yeah, well, we, we know it. <laughs> it's never, people, you know, people always ask us, like, you have a podcast about the Olympics that's like every four years. Like, how, what do you talk about? I'm like, oh, my gosh, what don't we talk about? There are so many. We have topics for years. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, most of the Olympics I've gone to, I was I was just a fan. I've I've worked at one Olympics, Nagano. Um, for I worked for CBS as you know, sort of a fact checker, reporter, uh, you know, behind the scenes. And uh, yeah, it, it it does. The games tend to reflect a lot about what our world is going through. And again, positive and negative. And I, as a storyteller, to me, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for conflict you're looking for originality you're looking for stories that have been maybe overlooked and certainly to me that was a a, a major part of trying to write wheels of courage i mean it was hey world check out these guys and what they did pretty amazing so yeah that's my olympic geekdom <laughs> we love that and <laughs> what is your favorite olympic souvenir or Paralympic, uh, if you've got a Paralympic one. I, I did swipe a, a banner at one of the Olympic Games, but I honestly don't know where it is, so I don't think I even have it anymore. But aside from that, I have a beautiful, like, mint condition ticket for the Los Angeles 1932 Olympics, and it's a ticket for boxing, one of the boxing matches at the Olympic Auditorium here in Los Angeles. And it is just such a cool little ticket. And I have it by my desk. And, yeah, that's probably my favorite thing. I also have <laughs> – okay, this is going to be really Olympic geeky. I have uh, – because when, uh, when I wrote the biography of Duke Kahanamoku – my cousin was nice enough to send me framed, you know, they had a Duke Kahanamoku U.S. postage stamp, and she bought a sheet of the Duke Kahanamoku postage stamp and framed it, and I have that at my desk as well. That's very cool. 
And it Allison really might cry. <laughs> they might cry a little. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it. Yeah, I, I same same here. Yeah, um, it, it's really it's really neat. Excellent, excellent. Well, David, thank you so much. Thank you so much, David. I think David might win the award for this episode for having the longest subtitle in his book. And you know how we love a good subtitle. But it was fun to listen to him and becoming a fan of a an event that's heavily televised when you didn't grow up with a television. You know, so much of my childhood Olympic memories, it's all the television. Right? Every memory of the Olympics is television. It wasn't even newspapers or anything else. It was which television I was watching, you know, when we switched from black and white to color. Mm-hmm. You know, which room in the house in the apartment it was in. So, yeah, that was a little horrifying for me. But now he's got one. And he got to go to LA 84, which was really cool. And see, Oh, my gosh. Like we talked about, what uh, what an athletics tournament that was. Now, was he the one who kept calling himself a nerd? Yes. It made me laugh how he kept calling himself a nerd because I just wanted to hate, say to him, sweetheart, you are in perfect company. <laughs> right? You you have found your people. <laughs> That is the purpose of our podcast. <laughs> and he was sort of apologizing for it. And I'm like, dude, that, nope. you are why we exist. That's right. So nerd away. And hey, if you listeners know any Olympics nerds in your life who aren't listening to this podcast, please let them know we exist because we need to keep finding our people. And the more we find the more fun this is to do. And we have a great group in our Facebook group and uh, have a lot of really interesting conversations there. I have a lot of fun with people on Twitter. Allison has a lot of fun with people on Instagram. So the more people we find, the more fun we can all have. So share it. Send as your Thanksgiving gift to one Olympic friend you have. And finally, we have Book Club Claire stepping in to do a lightning round with Andrew Marinus, author of Games of Deception, the true story of the first U.S. Olympic basketball team at the 1936 Olympics in Hitler's Germany, which was one of our book club selections. Take a listen. Lightning round. What is your first Olympic memory? It's the 1972 Olympics, the ski jump competition and my parents tell me that as a two-year-old, I just loved it. And I especially loved it when they would crash. <laughs> um, so that's the, my first Olympic sort of memory. But my real memory that I honestly remember even better than that was the 76 Olympics. I had a crush on Nadia, uh, the gymnast at the 76 Olympics. You have made Allison very happy. She talks about Nadia all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, I was a six-year-old watching her on TV and was impressed. <laughs> have you ever attended Olympics, summer or winter? Yes, I attended the 96 Olympics in Atlanta. I live in Nashville, so that was a quick drive and didn't have any real money at that time. So my friend and I got the cheapest tickets we can find. We saw some team handball and badminton and a little bit of baseball. If you could compete either in Tokyo 2020 or Beijing 2022, which event would you compete in? Well, I guess I have to say basketball, right? Uh, as an author of a book about Olympic basketball, I think that would be a lot of fun. If only I was taller and could shoot. Aside from basketball, let's say. <laughs> just just to um, get it out there. Yeah. So, I mean, baseball was my favorite sport playing up, but they don't play that in the Olympics 
anymore. I always like watching the swimming during the Summer Olympics, so I'll go for that. I'll, I'll choose to be the next Michael Phelps. Awesome. Do you have any Olympic memorabilia? I have a, well, that's crazy that you would ask that today. Just today, a woman here in Nashville, who's a friend of mine, brought me a book that was created by the German Olympic Committee after the 36 Olympics, commemorating um, those Olympic Games. It's all written in German, has incredible black and white photographs throughout the book that aren't just printed on the page. They're actual um, like snapshot photos that have been glued onto the page. And it's got pictures of Jesse Owens and all the athletes from those Olympics, um, scenes from Berlin. Um, it's spooky in some ways, but just incredible. And so as of today, I do have a pretty cool piece of Olympic memorabilia that I'm really excited about. That is amazing. Are you going to post that anywhere, like some snapshots or some pages? Yeah, and I'm happy to send you some. But uh, yeah, I'll post some on, on Twitter uh, as well. It's a really that amazing book. Yeah, that would be that'd be awesome to see. Um, last yeah. question. If you could write about any other Olympic Games or event or sport or person or moment, what would you pick and why? Wow. Well, going back to Germany and basketball, you know, the 1972 gold medal game is considered one of the most controversial Olympic moments in history when the U.S. lost to the Soviet Union when the, I think the Soviets were given three chances at the buzzer. Um, by the referees to win that game. I think that would be a fascinating story to tell. And again, at a very controversial and sad Olympics in Munich in, in 72, that might be one. Or maybe I'll have to go back to um, Montreal in 76. I don't know if there's a book for kids on, on Nadia and what a moment that was in, in women's sports and gymnastics when she was so uh, perfect at those Olympics. I would read that book. We, we, we've been looking for a good gymnastics book for sure. Thank you so much, Andrew and Claire. I'd forgotten that you weren't on this one when I started listening. I was like, oh, yeah, it's Book Club Claire. And, and, and can I just say, I felt like Claire threw a little shade at me. <laughs> I'm like, I don't talk about Nadia that much, Claire, do I? Man. It's like I don't show up to one interview and it's like, oh, well, she's not here. Is he watching Nadia let's, again? <laughs> yeah, let's just, you know, make fun of Nadia and Allison's obsession with her. And then he came in and saved me and said how it was his first memory. And I'm like, ha, ha, ha. Well, I thought Claire's interview was a perfect 10. It's not the scale in which we rate it anymore. No, she was great. And when I was listening back and I tell this to you, it took me a minute to realize it wasn't you. <laughs> I <laughs> It's that Midwestern accent sort of lulled me. And I said, wait a second. That's, that's not Jill. All my uh, Midwestern women. And I was all confused. But I knew it wasn't me. Because I got shade <laughs> thrown at me. do that to myself. But yes, I was very jealous. Because Andrew sounded like he was, number one, he's brilliant. And two, like he would have been a lot of fun to chat with. All right, so Andrew, write another Olympic book, please, so we can have you back. Or write one with your father, so we can talk to both of you. Oh, that would be amazing. Right? I think it would be great. And Olympic books make fantastic gifts. That's right. We recommend all these books and all our book club selections. Right, and we'll be uh, posting links to everything in the show notes, and we'll have links to all of our guests' social information so be sure to check that out and follow them on social 
That will wrap it up for this episode. Let us know what you're thinking about the Olympics and Paralympics. Email us at flamealivepod at gmail.com or call our voicemail hotline at 208-FLAME-IT. We're Flame Alive Pod on Twitter and Insta and keep the Flame Alive podcast group on Facebook. Next week, we will be talking with the velvet voice of John Register about his Paralympic experiences, so you'll want to tune in for that. As we go out to music by Archdale, thank you so much for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. Western accent sort of lulled me and I said wait a second that's that's not Jill